Welcome to the Being Fearless Podcast. In this podcast, we work on facing our fears and living our best lives. There's always going to be that voice inside you telling you you can't do something. I'm here to tell you, yes, you can. I'm your host, Jackie Robbins. I'm a confidence coach, an ulcerative colitis warrior, and a fitness enthusiast with a cupcake addiction. And I'm here to tell you, it's okay to be scared. Do it anyway. friends, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today I'm actually going to talk about my journey with ulcerative colitis and a lot of the questions that I get asked because I get asked questions like all the time and I thought it would be fun to come on here and do an episode. But before I dive into that, I wanted to tell you guys about the fearless act of the week. I swear they're not all going to be fitness related, but (laughs) the last couple of weeks it definitely has been. So I am an ambassador for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. We'll get into that a little bit later. And Every year I like to raise money for the cause. Last year I did a my first half marathon with Team Challenge, which is the Crohn's and Colitis group, and it was absolutely amazing. And I had every intention of doing another half marathon this year, but they're not doing one in my area. So I decided that I was going to sign up for the Falmouth Road Race in August to raise money for the cause, and it's a seven-mile race, and basically I get to run around Cape Cod, which I don't know, sounds like a pretty good day to me. Um, so signed up for that, really excited about it. I have some big fitness goals this year, so I wanted to try to, you know, sporadically um, book myself some events to keep me on track with these goals. So really excited about that. Um, but let's get down to it. I want to tell you guys about ulcerative colitis, a little bit about my journey, and If I'm being honest with you, ulcerative colitis is probably the reason that I not only surrendered to my fear, but it's also what got me over my fears. A lot of my fears really stemmed from having ulcerative colitis and being sick for the amount of time that I was. So if you're not familiar with ulcerative colitis, let's just get that out of the way. And I'm actually going to read to you the clinical definition, which is ulcerative colitis is an inflammatory bowel disease that causes inflammation and ulcers in your digestive tract, and it affects your large intestine and the lining of your rectum. Super glamorous, right? Basically, it sort of means that like your colon, i.e. your large intestine, is inflamed and it really sucks. Like it is, it is not good. It is not fun at all. Um, so I was diagnosed at eight years old and that's a hard age to be diagnosed with because you know what? You don't have life coping mechanisms to deal with something like that, or at least I didn't. Maybe some other eight year olds are more evolved, but back in 90, 1986, I wasn't, and I didn't cope well at all. Uh, It took me until my 30s to even, like, deal with some of my demons. So how I got diagnosed was, so I'm eight years old. I'm a little kid. I'm not really paying attention to anything that's going on. And one of the telltale signs that you have ulcerative colitis is you have blood in your stool. 
Again, super glamorous. We're going to do a lot of butt talk today and we're going to talk about poop. I guess I should have disclosed that. Um, but whatever, you guys know. Um, so my mom noticed, apparently I didn't do a great job of flushing the toilet. I just went in the bathroom and did what I needed to do and just hopped on and carried on with life. And my mom noticed I had blood in the toilet. So of course she takes me to my pediatrician and they're like, oh, you need to see a gastroenterologist. So she takes me into Boston, which is where you go when you're in Massachusetts. Like, Boston has amazing doctors, I'm not going to lie. And she took me to this doctor. His name was Dr. Katz. I will never forget meeting him. First of all, I was wicked pissed off that we had to go. It took us, like, 90 minutes to two hours to get in. And then we sat in that waiting room for what felt like my whole life. Like, mom's... You know, you take your kid to a waiting room and they're like crawling up the walls. I am literally, I was literally the worst kid you could have in that waiting room. So anyway, we get in there. I'm already irritated. I'm eight years old. And the doctor just reminds me of underdog. (laughs) Like I don't, he had these like droopy eyes. I felt like his ears were big. Like he just looked like underdog. And I know that he, he's probably never going to hear this, but... I really feel like I should be apologizing to him for how awful I was to him. I was resistant to anything this man wanted to do. So one of the first things they do is they, you know, they want to see the um, the bloating that's going on in your stomach. So he's putting his hands on my stomach. He's pushing. And of course it hurts. And... It was so long ago that I don't remember being in pain, but I remember as soon as I was diagnosed, all of a sudden it was like the pain came. So I'm not sure if I just like pushed down the fact that this was how it was supposed to be, or once I was given permission to feel the pain, I felt the pain. So here we are with with Dr. Katz. We're going to call him the butt doctor um, because the first thing he wanted to do was shove a tube up my ass. And I was just like, no, this isn't good. And back then, and I'm assuming you still can do this now, there's a way that you can do what is called a scope. So it's basically like, I mean, you guys all know what a colonoscopy is, I'm assuming. It's like a camera going up your butt in a smaller scale. So now he tells me he wants to insert this tube into my ass and look around and see what's going on. And as a kid, I'm just like, no, what? That sounds awful. I mean, honestly, at 38, that still sounds awful. It is just not a fun thing. And um, if you've ever had a colonoscopy, and a lot of people ask me about colonoscopies, I'll be honest, the worst part is usually the prep because you're asleep for like the really bad part. But there is some like You know, people get really weird about, oh my God, they're shoving a camera up my ass. But I highly recommend you get one when you're supposed to. So that's my PSA on that. So anyway, he does that and he immediately tells us that I need to be hospitalized for treatment. Awesome. So the first time I ever meet this guy, he's shipping me off to Newton Wellesley Hospital. So I go there. And they figure out a course of treatment. So the thing with ulcerative colitis is you can be in remission for a long period of time with, you know, medication and diet. I'll talk about a little bit more about that later. But a lot of what happens with ulcerative colitis is the disease, quote unquote, flares up. 
So I was in a flare. We didn't even know I had it. And now I had to be treated at the hospital. So I spent a couple weeks in the hospital. They did a bunch of tests. We got the formal diagnosis of ulcerative colitis and I was put on medication. Now medication has come a long way in the past 30 years. Back then, um, I remember I had to learn how to take pills pretty quickly. And the pill that I had to take was called sulfasalazine. You guys, these were gigantic pills. Like my mom had to cut them in half because first of all, I'm eight years old. I've never swallowed a pill before in my life. And I just felt like I was going to choke. So now here comes my first fear. I'm going to choke on a pill. Great. (laughs) So we used to cut it in half. I think it took me two or three years before I was like, you know what? Let me see if I can just swallow this whole. And I did. And it was, I don't know, it was exciting because I grew up having to be on medication. And if you didn't have to cut them in half, that was great. Just one less thing. Um, so that was the first pill that I remember being on. But my flare got so bad when I was younger that I had to be on a drug called prendazone. If you don't know what prendazone is, know that the hairs on the back of my neck just stood up because I'm still traumatized by the things that prendazone did. Prendazone, I will say for the record, is an amazing drug. It can cure so many things. However, the side effects are awful. The side effects make you gain weight. They give you a moon face and you have like, I mean, it's a steroid. So you're a little bit angrier and more emotional than normal. I'm not going to go into a lot of it, but oh my God, it was a terrible drug and I had to be on a pretty high dosage and that meant that I was going to gain weight very, very quickly. So now I'm eight years old. I'm in third grade and all of a sudden I've blown up like a balloon and the kids are making fun of me and it still hurts my heart to think about what eight-year-old Jackie went through And I got made fun of every day. Like people used to call me chipmunk cheeks. And I think my defense mechanism back then was if they're laughing at you, then you need to be laughing at you. So when people called me chipmunk cheeks, I was like, ha ha ha. Yeah, I'm so fat. That's not a good coping mechanism. Like, I don't know what I think I should have done back then, but I don't know that laughing with them was good because they kept laughing at me. They kept making fun of me. And I will never forget this one boy. He came up to me and said to me in the most serious manner that an eight-year-old kid could say to you. And he goes, I'm just curious, if I throw you into the ocean, can I float on you like a boat to Puerto Rico? I came home bawling my eyes out, and I have just, I get it, you're eight years old, you're ignorant, but that was such a hurtful statement, because all I kept thinking about was, oh my God, am I as big as a boat? Is that a powerful thought? No. And I think that's when I really started developing, you know, very serious body image issues. I really truly equated being loved with how skinny I was for a really long time. And there are still days that I look in the mirror and I still see that little fat eight-year-old. And you know what? I love that eight-year-old girl. She went through so much. She was a warrior and she didn't know 
you know, how she was supposed to cope with things. And the only thing she could do was cry. And I used to come home every day after school. The kids were so mean to me. I would come home every day after school and my mom would just tell me I was beautiful. She would tell me I could get through anything and she would make me feel better enough that I would stop crying. Which, by the way, thinking about this is getting me really emotional. So if I cry, I'm not sorry because it's emotions and we have to feel them. Um, but it took me years. It took me so many years to just know that you don't have to be skinny to be loved. You just need to love yourself. And eight-year-old Jackie did not have any concept of that. And I went through the next nine years of my life, in and out of the hospital, on and off prednisone. I mean, it wasn't as bad with the kids Um, When I was younger, like when I was eight, they were, you know, super nasty. It was like, you called me chipmunk cheeks. You told me I was a boat. One person wanted to know if they stuck a pin in my cheeks, would I blow up like a pinata? That statement doesn't even make sense. Like, God, I just, I don't understand why kids are so mean, but I mean, they don't know. They just know that I went from being a smaller kid to a bigger kid. And I had so much emotion and I didn't know what to do with it. And this went on for so many years. So flash forward, I'm in and out of the hospital for the next like nine years. And finally, I'm 17 years old. I'm a senior in high school and I caught what I thought was a stomach flu. And I kept saying to my mom, Nope, nope, it's a stomach flu, it's a stomach flu, this is, nope, I don't need to go to the hospital, it's fine. I can't tell you how long she she allowed me to say it was a stomach flu, but it was not a stomach flu. It was a gigantic flare, I lost a lot of weight, and I ended up spending the fall of my senior year in the hospital. And the doctors finally sat my family and I down, and they were like, At this time, the disease has progressed so far that we need to remove her colon. And I'm like, what? What do you mean you have to remove my colon? Like, that's major surgery. Are you kidding me? Not only was it major surgery, but they were basically going to, and they did, cut me vertically, remove my colon and part of the lining of my rectum, and I was going to have a colostomy bag for three months, and then they could reverse it. So let me lay this out for you. 17-year-old Jackie, major body image issues. Let's cut her stomach open, take her small intestine, suture it to the outside of her body, and she's going to poop in a bag for three months. What? It was so much to process. I was so scared, but I didn't have a choice. I I truly didn't have a choice, and I want to let you guys know as I'm telling this story, I'm sort of a worst-case scenario. A lot of people with ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, um, I didn't go over Crohn's disease, but Crohn's disease affects both the large and the small intestine, Um, but most people can take medication and um, combat it with diet and medication. So I was sort of a worst case scenario. I honestly haven't met a ton of people in my journey that have had to do this. And when I have, I love hearing their story because 
30 years ago, it wasn't common. There wasn't social media. There was no big support group. And I just felt alone. Oh, I felt so alone. So on November 9th, 1998, it was surgery day. And I was so scared. I remember waking up at three o'clock in the morning and part of me was scared that I was going to die. I mean, it's major surgery. I'm 17 and the whole world scared me at this point. And I was so scared that like I wasn't, I wasn't going to make it through this surgery. And you guys, I called my mom at 3 a.m. and I woke up the whole house. I begged her not to do this. I promised I would be a good kid. I would never get in trouble. I would take my medication. I would follow the diet. Just please don't make me do this. Again, mom with the right words told me she would be there every step of the way. She would walk me into surgery, which she did. And she assured me that I am so strong that I would be able to get through this. And the next words out of my mouth still make me laugh. (laughs) Because I said to her, I had a huge celebrity crush on Elijah Wood. Huge, guys. I still do. Um, But I said to her, I can't die right now because I haven't met Elijah Wood. (laughs) And that was a legitimate concern that I said. And I'm laughing about it because I've actually gotten a chance to meet him twice. And it was amazing. And he's still my celebrity crush, but I was so irrational about anything that needed to happen. And I do remember her just rolling her eyes at me the next morning and being like, I'm sure someday you're going to meet Elijah Wood. Um, so, you know, you have to hold on to those moments where you're laughing. Um, anyway, so I did go through the surgery. I did have the colostomy bag for a couple of months. It was a lot. It was a lot. And, I took all the feelings that I had back then and I really pushed them down. And one of the things that happened to me back then is like, these are the years that shape your life. You're supposed to be thinking about your future and applying to college and blah, 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 all the things that society tells you to do. Well, I've never been able to fit into this like societal box because quite frankly, I couldn't be applying for colleges because I wasn't sure that I was going to be in the hospital. I wasn't sure that I was going to be sick. And something that happened to me was I never took any chances and I never went for anything because I always just expected I was going to get sick and it wasn't going to work out because guess what? So far, I just kept getting sick. One of the dreams I had when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actress I specifically wanted to be the next Julia Roberts, Um, but I never tried out for plays. I never took any classes or anything, and it wasn't because my parents weren't, like, encouraging me to do this. It was always this fear of, well, I'm just going to get sick. What's the point? Or it was also the fear of, like, well, they probably won't like me, and I'm most likely too fat. So I never went for it, and then finally my senior year... I went for it, and I got the lead in a play. And you ready for what happened? I had surgery, and my teacher had to call me in the hospital because I was still convinced that I could do it, so I was learning my lines in the hospital, and she had to call me and tell me that because I can't make it to any rehearsals, by the time I got out, it was like three weeks before the play, and I wasn't going to be able to do this. And I was so devastated that I just always held on to that thought, 
what's the point? What's the point of trying? And it took me a long time to move through that. So I had my surgery. I'm holding on to all of this fear and anger. And I decide it's a great idea to compartmentalize it all and push it down and pretend it doesn't exist. Not a great coping mechanism, I will say. Um, so I went through a couple of years of everything being, you know, okay. Um, one of the frequently asked questions that I want to touch on right now is people always ask me, is there a cure for ulcerative colitis? It's a loaded answer because the answer is yes or no. Technically, when you have the surgery, the doctors are going to tell you you're cured. However, you're down an entire organ, which means there's going to be repercussions about that. So now I don't have a colon and my small intestine is doing all the things. And now I'm realizing how dehydrated I'm getting like super, super fast because your colon is more of the, how do I explain this? Your colon sort of puts the moisture back into your body, whereas your um, small intestine is like sucking the water out. So, okay, when you when you only have a small intestine to go to the bathroom, you're not going to have formed stools. I hope this is making sense because in my head it sort of does. So like... When you don't have your colon anymore, when they take it away, you end up going to the bathroom a lot more and it's not like formed. And the only thing (laughs) I'm laughing right now because all I can think of is Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo from South Park. Um, I don't have any of that. I basically things sort of run through me depending on what it is and... I go more times than a normal person would. I'm actually not sure what a normal person goes. I imagine it's one to two times a day. I'm a little bit higher than that. I can range from like five to 10, sometimes 12, depending on how it is. It really does suck and it's not fun. But the thing that you have to worry about when you do have the surgery is you need to stay like hydrated as fuck or you're just going to like pass out or it's going to just feel like it's sucking the life force out of you is how I sort of equate it. So a little bit on that. I dealt with that for a long time. And then in my early 20s, I lost the ability to go to the bathroom. I lost the ability to go to the bathroom. And I'm going to keep this part a little bit brief because I was in and out of the hospital for two years. And not only did I lose the ability to go to the bathroom, I couldn't hold it. Which means, you know, when you have that urge to go to the bathroom, I had that urge and then my body just went. And I've already told you guys, like I compartmentalized a lot of anger. I didn't deal with a lot of my issues and I was dealing with some serious body image issues. What do you think happened when all of a sudden I can't hold my bowels? I stopped leaving the house for years. And I carried that around for a long time because I was so scared that something catastrophic was going to happen when I left the house. And I held on to that. Here's the thing with holding on to fear. It is going to keep resurfacing in areas of your life over and over and over again until you deal with it. So all of that fear that I have from being eight, from being 17, from being 24, It all came to a head in my 30s. So I went back and forth with doctors in and out of the hospital for two years and they were, they just couldn't figure out what was going on with my pelvic floor. They were just like, we don't understand why you can't hold it. 
So long story short, I get sent to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. You know, that like the hospital to end all hospitals. So I spend two weeks there as basically a lab rat and they give me what is called a urethral catheter because what they're realizing is when I sit on the toilet, I can't just evacuate anything. So basically what happens is my body's building everything up and eventually it just starts, you know, coming out. So what they did was they gave me a urethral catheter and told me that this would be able to evacuate your bowels. So now I'm going to get a little gross, a little graphic. A urethral catheter is like a red rubber tube, which I affectionately call the poop straw because I have to shove it up my ass to go to the bathroom. Now, this causes some issues because you have to use it more than one time. You can't just like buy a shit ton of them because you're going through five a day. So you have to be able to clean it. So if I am going to go out into public, I need a single stalled bathroom with a sink so that I could clean it you know, whatever, put it back in its bag until the next time. So that also created a ton of problems where I was scared to leave the house because, oh my God, what if I have to go to the bathroom? And I think one of the number one things people don't understand with inflammatory bowel diseases, we get so scared that we're going to need to go to the bathroom and not be quick enough to get there that We almost look like assholes in life because I know tons of my friends that I know that have colitis or Crohn's, they've had to cancel plans or they're in a flare and people don't always understand what that means. And it's not necessarily because we're being scared. It's because we're going to the bathroom every fucking five minutes and who wants to be at a restaurant with someone like that? So I spent the next longer than I will care to admit, but it was years. Like it was into my early thirties before I realized how much my fear and my bathroom anxiety was affecting me. I had such severe bathroom anxiety that people would ask me to do things and I would immediately say no because I was so scared that I wasn't going to be able to find an adequate bathroom. What if the toilet clogged? What if it overflowed? What if it doesn't flush? What if the sink causes? I mean, you guys, I had every what if scenario on the face of the planet and I didn't want to live like that anymore. And there was this one moment that made me stop in my tracks and be like, okay, it is time to deal with this. So years ago, I was um, dating a guy who was very carefree. And my best friend at the time was dating one of his friends. So the four of us were going to go to a music festival. And it occurred to me that there may not be an adequate bathroom for me. But I decided to do this anyway, and when we got to this music festival, my worst nightmare came true. Porta-potties. Everywhere. Worst nightmare, you guys. First of all, anybody hates a porta-potty, and if you like a porta-potty, you're a crazy person. But I can't do what I need to do to go to the bathroom in a porta-potty. There's no running water. There's no way to clean the tube. I lost my shit that day absolutely lost my shit. Everything came to a head and I just, I, 
I didn't know what to do and I was so angry and I started crying and I have to say the people that I was with were were sort of trying to figure out if there was a way that I could go to the bathroom and we ended up having to go down the street and finding a bathroom that I could use. I made the entire day so miserable because I was so mad, I was so angry, and I felt like nobody understood me, and why is this happening to me, and I basically was the guest of honor at my own pity party. So I have a miserable experience, I'm fighting with everybody, I'm so angry, and like a week or two later, my best friend says to me, my boyfriend doesn't really want to hang out with you anymore because you're always awful in public about the bathroom things and you get so angry and upset that he doesn't like being around you. My first thought was, well, fuck him. I don't want to be around him either. And then when I sat with it, I thought to myself, oh my God, she's right. He's right. And I don't really want to be around me because I was so angry. I was so upset all the time I was just holding it around that I just had lost my love for life and my actual joy. So I did what any sane person would do. I decided I was going to start doing the work and I picked up the personal development books. I went to therapy and I am not ashamed to tell you that I needed to be put on medication because I realized I had severe depression over this and I couldn't figure out how to plow through it. So if you're out there, if you are struggling with any type of anxiety and depression, I want to encourage you to go get help, do the work, and don't be ashamed if you have to take medication. It is not a sign of defeat. I always thought it was going to be a sign of defeat, but it's the one thing that helped me over the hump so that I could... I could come out the happier person that I wanted to be. I was tired of living a life where I was scared to leave my house and scared to do all the things. And I've worked on this for years. And you know what it resulted in? I became a fucking confidence coach. I now help other people move through their fear and anxiety. You guys, I'm someone who stood in front of a room full of people and shared her journey And years ago, oh, I was not doing that. Oh my God, don't even ask me about it. I don't want to tell you about it. I was so ashamed. And now I can openly talk about it. But not only can I openly talk about it, I am proud as fuck of what I've went through. And can I go to the bathroom on my own? No, but it doesn't stop me from going out in public. And here's another amazing moment. There was a year I declared it was a year of yes. I needed to start saying yes to things. And my cousin had asked me to go to this Kenny Chesney concert. I really wanted to go. I was so scared about the bathroom condition that I said yes without even thinking about it. So we go to this concert. I've got my, I've got my poop straw. I'm ready to go. And it's time to go in the public bathrooms and I'm freaking out about it. And at the time I had a bathroom card and I still have one. So you can get, um, you can get a bathroom card that says this person has Crohn's or colitis. They need bathroom access. And in public places, they may have a, a separate bathroom for you that's single stalled. So we walked up to the EMT and we were like, Hey, do you have a single stalled bathroom? They did. 
And because of that amazing experience, and because I had the willingness to say yes to something that scared me, it was like a domino effect to keep doing it because I realized I was missing out on so many things. I was saying no to so many things I wanted to do. And you should never do that. If there is something, if you have a burning desire to do something or try something, I know that that voice inside you is going to be like, no, no, because X, Y, and Z, you need to be louder than that voice and go fucking do these things. Go do them all. Go do everything that's out of your comfort zone because it's going to make you happier. It's going to make you a stronger person. And it's just going to give you this, this strong amount of self-love and confidence that I can't even begin to describe. All right. So I've been talking about my journey for a long time. Hope you're learning something. <laughs> Hope you're excited. Hope you're fired up because I want you to understand that everybody gets scared, but we're going to do it anyway. And now flash forward, I am 38. I still can't go to the bathroom on my own. I am actually going to pelvic floor therapy. I get asked about pelvic floor therapy a lot. And if you know anything about pelvic floor therapy, it's normally because... um if you've ever had a baby, you know that, you know, when you push the baby out, it kind of does this fun thing to your bladder where you sneeze and cough and you pee a little, um, or you jump up and down and you pee a little, or you laugh too hard and you pee a little, you see where I'm going. Most people's pelvic floor, when it gets weak, it's because of that. But mine, unfortunately, is weak in the other aspect where I need to it's weird because as much as they say I have a weak pelvic floor, it's actually too tight, which is why it won't release. So it's very confusing. So I'm actually in pelvic floor therapy right now. I hope that one day I'm going to come on here and tell you guys that I can go to the bathroom on my own. Today is not that day, but it is no longer holding me back. If I want to do something, I do it. And I'm not worried about the bathroom anymore. I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to trust that the universe has my back. And this is something that I want to do. And I know that the universe is going to provide me with exactly what I need when I go out there. And if you can hold on to that attitude, you can go out and you can do all the things because you just need to trust. There is a level of trust. And I'll be honest, this level of trust didn't just happen overnight. This happened over years of trusting and trial and error. And there are very few times that I could tell you that I've had an experience where it didn't work out for me. I can remember one time only where I was at the House of Blues in Boston and I flashed my bathroom card and they were like, no, what? What are you talking about? And they wouldn't let me. And it still worked out. It still worked out. I still figured it out. And you do, you figure it out. So... That's a lot about my journey, and I'm sure that I, I went through a lot of it because um, it's a long journey. I mean, we're, it's over 30 years, but the, if you can take away one thing from my journey is no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're scared of, if you don't stop and face your shit and work through it, <laughs> literally, <laughs> if you don't face your shit, sorry, um, no, I'm not. It's always going to come back up. It's going to resurface. So work through it, whether that means working with a coach, 
Hit me up if you want to work with a coach, whether that means therapy, whether that means personal development groups, whether that, you know, whatever that books, not groups, um, there probably are groups too, but whatever that looks like for you, do it and work through it because it's going to keep showing up in your life until you do it. All right. I want to get to some of these questions that I get asked a lot. Some of them I've already answered, so I'll just like touch upon them anyway. So here's the most absurd question I've ever been asked. Can you live without a colon? Are you kidding me? I'm standing in front of you. Like, (laughs) I'll never forget being asked that. And this was like years ago, like I was in my 20s. But I remember being like, is this real life? Did they really just ask me that? Oh, yeah, they did. So yes, you can live without a colon. You can live a happy life without a colon. Um... I get asked a lot of questions about like diet and stuff and people always ask me, can you drink coffee? And this was before and after surgery. And I was always like, yes, here's the thing. Yes, I can drink coffee. However, you have to remember coffee is a dehydrant. So if I'm going to drink like a cup of coffee, I need to substitute that with like a glass of water or something like that. Like you can't just drink coffee all day and think everything's going to be okay. Same thing with alcohol. People always want to know if we can drink alcohol. So the answer is yes. Again, alcohol is a dehydrant. Um, and for me, because I don't have a colon, so if you've had that removed, your small intestine, like I said, it absorbs everything. So with alcohol, I absorb things a little bit quicker than the normal person. So maybe the normal person can have like two or three drinks in a, I don't know, five hour time period. Um, I got to be careful because I could have one glass of wine one night. My body will absorb it super quick and I'll have like a serious buzz on and borderlining on drunk with one glass of wine. And then there are other nights where I could have like two or three beers over a six hour period and everything is fine. It all depends on my hydration level and what I've eaten that day. So yes, I can drink alcohol, but I need to be careful because I can go from zero to 60. And I I just realized as I'm talking about this stuff, and I'm like pretty far into this podcast, so I'm going to put this in the show notes too. I want to let you guys know I'm not an expert. I am not an expert at all. I am not a doctor. I'm not any of those things. However, I'm a woman that has over 30 years experience, so I'm just giving you my opinions on this. So I don't want anybody to come back to me and be like, but my friend said that, or my doctor said this. No, I'm just giving you what I know from my 30 year experience. I probably should have put that at the beginning of the cast, but you know what? We're not perfect. Um, okay. Next question I get a lot. So my friend has ulcerative colitis and she can't eat beans. Can you? (laughs) Okay. So again, Everybody is different. A lot of the things, if you have ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, you need to stay away from like raw fruits and veggies because your body doesn't digest it well, like nuts and seeds because your body can't digest it well. Um, popcorn was never something that I could eat. You had to be careful with like Chinese food and definitely like fried foods. But all of those foods that we know that your body just doesn't digest very well, that can cause a flare in somebody with colitis and Crohn's. So 
I mean, like I said, it's different for somebody. Somebody might be able to eat beans. I couldn't, but you know, somebody else might be able to. Um, for me now, I have been told that I can eat whatever I want. However, remember, everything has to go through a straw, so I still have to be careful with those hard-to-digest things because, and not to sound graphic, but you know, when you eat corn, it comes out the same way it comes out. That happens to me more often than not. Chew well. (laughs) Um, Okay, so another question I get asked a lot are, what are the symptoms of ulcerative colitis? The most common ones are blood in the stool, anemia, you might get a fever, you're definitely going to feel fatigued, and you might even have weight loss. So, I mean, guys, if you have blood in your stool, like, you're going to call the butt doctor. Or, like, you have to call a doctor. Like, that is a red flag, and you got to do something. Um, another question I get asked a lot is, what causes this disease? Honestly, they don't know. The doctors don't know, but a lot of it is hereditary. I know for me, um, my Nana was diagnosed with colitis and she was in her forties. And I'm not going to say that I'm so glad she got diagnosed because that's going to come out wrong, but she was somebody that I could talk to about it. And I felt like she understood me because again, Back in the late 80s, there was no social media. There was no support groups. I just felt alone. So at least I could call my Nana. And her disease was never as severe as mine. But it still made me feel better to talk to her. And I think, you know, if you're listening to this and you have Crohn's or colitis disease and you're feeling alone, first of all, you hit me up because I never want you to feel alone. But there are so many people out there, if you like go on Insta and you type in like hashtag no colon still rolling, hashtag ulcerative colitis warrior, like you can find people that are willing to talk to you. And one of the reasons I wanted to be an ambassador for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation is not just because I wanted to spread the awareness, but I never want someone to feel like the younger version of myself who felt alone and that there was nobody she could talk to. Um, Because I just grew up feeling like nobody understood me and that I was the only person alive who had her colon removed, and that is not the case. Um... All right, where am I? Let me look at my notes because I've just been off on a tangent for most of this. Um, oh, one of the questions I do get asked is, you know, what age do people most likely get diagnosed? And I looked this one up because I didn't know the answer. Um, but you can actually develop it at any age, but a lot of times it's between 15 and 30. Most of the people that I've met now through my journey, they weren't as young as me. And when I tell people I was eight years old, they're always like, whoa, wow, how did you cope with that? Well, if you've been listening, I didn't. I didn't at all. I didn't until I was in my 30s and realized that it was truly affecting my life. And I'll be honest with you guys, I never thought that I would be somebody who would openly talk about this. I never thought that I was going to be somebody who helped other people with their confidence, ran a podcast. Like none of this ever felt possible for me because I allowed my fear of life and taking chances to hold me back for so long. So the one piece I really need you to take away from this podcast, please, please, please don't let your fear hold you back. Go do all the things. 
be a badass. And if you fail and you will, it's okay. Keep going, learn what you learned and keep going. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. I've given you guys a ton of information. If there's a question that you're like, I just want to know this, let me know. Um, in the show notes is my contact information, but whatever you're struggling with, you can get through this. You can do this. I so appreciate you listening to this podcast. I hope that my journey helps you in some way, shape, or form. I know not everybody can relate, and that's okay, but I'm here to share openly and honestly so that maybe somebody out there doesn't feel alone. And as always, I want to tell you guys, it's okay to be scared. Do it anyway. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, have a great and fearless day.